If you've got a Bible, uh, please open to Matthew 13. If you don't have a Bible, it's totally cool. Uh, Grab one that looks just like this. They're all over the place. And you can turn to page 818, I think. Yeah, 818. And that's where we'll be. Um, You know my penchant for old things. Uh, People ask me sometimes, you know, what preachers do you listen to? Who do you read? And the answer is, they're all dead, so you won't care about them. Um, But... But this is a a quote that I particularly liked from one of the Puritan divines. His name was Thomas uh, Guthrie. And he said this. It seems fitting as we're entering into our series talking about the kingdom of God and what it means. Thomas Guthrie writes, In the blood of Christ to wash out sin's darkest stains. In the grace of God to purify the foulest heart. In peace to calm life's roughest storms. In hopes to cheer guilt's darkest hour. In a courage that defies death and descends calmly into the tomb. In that which makes the poorest rich and without which the richest are poor indeed. The gospel has treasure greater far than east or west unfold. And its rewards more precious are than all the stores of gold. I like that. We're in a series right now thinking about the life of Jesus post-resurrection and pre-ascension. These are two pieces of the story that we often admit. We, we can often get right to the cross, uh, but the cross without resurrection is not good news. Amen? And so we need that good news. Jesus rose from the grave, and then 40 days later, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he exists to mediate our relationship with God. So that when you pray, you're praying in the spirit to Jesus who then takes our request to God himself, as Timothy puts it in 1 Timothy. So he lives and reigns forever. But in that meantime, between resurrection and ascension, Jesus spent those days with his disciples. And he spent those days with his disciples teaching them what, church? Who remembers? Incorrect. First wrong answer. Does anybody remember? The kingdom of God. Remember, he is dwelling with the disciples and he spends 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God, which is a deep and complicated issue, not necessarily because the concept is so foreign, but because we are so blind. Because we're so formed by culture and music and movies and all of these things that are coming around us and teaching us to see the world in a particular way. And here Jesus shows up on the scene saying crazy stuff like blessed are the merciful because they're the ones that get ahead. But not really. Right? Blessed are the meek for they inherit the world. Is that no, right? Jesus is always turning things upside down. And so his perspective that he's trying to, to, to imbue to us is difficult to catch sight of. And so Jesus tells stories. He tells parables to try to draw us from our common life into the holy life. And so we're looking at these. And so we're going to look today at verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13. This is a real simple parable, real short, easy to grab a hold of. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, these are interchangeable, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. 
Now, I don't know that there's a single person in this room who can't identify with it. Some of the parables are kind of convoluted. They're hard to understand because they're dealing with agriculture and maybe you don't grow things or they are kind of rooted in that first century life. But this one is really easy because which one of you, raise your hand if this does not describe you. You're driving down the road and you see a billboard, big as life, LED, and it says, The next jackpot is $212 million. Which one of you doesn't say, I know what I'd do with that? (laughs) Right? In fact, I know this is true of all of us because you're all sane people. And you're driving past that board and you're thinking, in fact, I know it so surely that I'm going to give you four seconds. I want you to turn to the person to the left and tell them what you're going to spend. The first thing you're going to buy, you win $212 million dollars. What are you going to buy? To the person to your left. Ready, set, go. One, two. Unless you're on the end, then you tell no one. (laughs) I didn't think that through. And you're done. All right, that's it. All of the noise in the room tells me that this was very easy. This was very easy for all of us. And I was actually curious. I was actually very curious. And so I looked it up. I was wrong. It's $215 million dollars. Just in, just in case, if, you, if you're curious about this. I bought, a, I bought a lottery ticket one time. I was with my biological dad, and he's a big gambler. Well, I, I shouldn't, that actually sounded bad. We're going to cut that out of the recording. <laughs> no, we're cutting that out of the recording. I did not mean that that way. <laughs> he does, however, buy lottery tickets on the regular. And so he was like, it's like $500 million. got to buy a lottery ticket. So I did, and it was the most uneventful moment of my entire life. I was deeply disappointed. <laughs> they just hand me the t- I didn't even check the numbers. I hope I didn't, <laughs> I hope I didn't miss out. <laughs> but seriously, we get this parable, don't you? You understand this. You're walking in a field, and you stumble, stumble over pirate's treasure, pirate's gold. What's the first thing you do? the first thing you do anybody what's that it belongs in a museum oh man I'm done I don't even know what to do with that (laughs) well played Chelsea well played Uh, No, you actually are all wrong. And you all are going to get killed by pirates, by the way. If you find buried pirate treasure, the first thing you do is keep your mouth shut. Right? Because the pirates are coming back for it eventually. But uh, we actually know historically that um, this was something that actually happened. This is, whoa, I don't know what that is. What happened to that? That is a very, that's a font I'm not familiar with. However, that is the accurate quote. This is a crazy day, guys. I don't know. Uh, anyway, this is a quote from Josephus. <laughs> this is a quote from Josephus who talks about how as the Romans and the Greeks would invade the Holy Land, the people would, the Romans as they came through, would dig up the treasure that people would bury in their backyards so that no one would find it. Um, in fact, they find that the greatest part of the, of the gold and silver was discovered by those who were captives. And so they carried it away, the gold and the silver, 
So this actually is something that historically was kind of happening. So for them, they actually had kind of a historical moment. But we all understand this intuitively, that, that this is something that's going on here. And what I, is Jesus trying to communicate about the gospel? That's the point. The kingdom of heaven is like finding treasure in a field. What is he trying to say to us? Well, I would say that first, he's trying to communicate to us surprise. The first thing that happens when you run into the gospel is you're like, what is that all about? It's surprising. Matt stood up here and beautifully told us a description of what Jesus came to do. God of heaven who came down into earth who bore our sins and our sorrows, who went calmly into the grave on our behalf. Like, that is a crazy story. And then three days later, rises again. Like, that's surprising. And that's what's happening here. Somebody's on a walk, and they stumble across. They are surprised. Notice how often Jesus ambushes people. Have you ever noticed this? He's walking along the Sea of Galilee. They're just minding their own business doing their job, and he says, hey, leave your nets, leave your job, leave your security, and follow me. And, his par- and all, you know, John and Peter's parents and wives and children were just thrilled at the responsible decision they made, right? No, like, Jesus ambushes people. He walks past Matthew and says, give that up. I know it's a good job. Forget about it. Follow me. Abraham's called. He leaves Ur on, just on, on a whim, it seems like. So often, God shows up and he surprises us. And this is what Jesus constantly does. This is what I was just talking about a minute ago. He tells us to value the things that are weak in the world, the things that are despised in the world. Paul says, our wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of God, is foolishness to the world. They see it and they say, why are you valuing these? These things don't help you get ahead. You stand on the bodies of the people you slay to get to the top. And Jesus says, no, the greatest among you will be the what? least the servant if you want to come near and understand what the gospel is like pay more attention to your kids and how they interact with the world around them they're full of surprise i can surprise esri by just going like this behind a door right (laughs) surprise why have we lost that church why have we lost that surprise God is still the God of the universe, the God who still shows up and by his spirit moves in new and interesting and unique ways, exploding and exploring and doing new things. He calls us the people of the wind, the people driven by the spirit, moving here and there because we're constantly ready for God to do something we didn't anticipate. It's like a treasure in a field. We're surprised by it all the time, surprised by the power, presence, But I noticed something else, too. If you stumbled across pirate treasure after you kept your mouth shut, what would you feel? Just sit in that for a second. What would you feel? Excited? That's a good word. What would you feel? Anticipation, nervous, excitement. Nobody's pumped? Like, nobody's excited? Nobody's to joy? Like, the, like, you just found something that would solve all of your human problems. Everything that you, like, I can imagine just, like, climbing up a tree and jumping out of it just because I'm so excited. I don't even know what to do, right? I mean, it's, it's community. Jesus is saying, when you stumble across the kingdom of God, it's like finding, it's like stumbling across something completely new, completely unexpected, and something that brings you the kind of joy that makes you skip and dance and act like a fool. I mean, I would be 
dancing and doing a really embarrassing jig all the way around that box, right? That's what we would be doing. And let me ask the question, do we feel that way about Jesus? Right? I mean, it's an easy question to ask. It's low-hanging fruit, but it's an important one, isn't it? I lament joyless Christians. Where did our joy go? We worship the God of all the universe, the God who paid for our sins, the God who rose from the dead, defeating the devil and sin and death, the God who frees us from this present evil age, this God, God who fills us with his own spirit and then says, I'm going to do stuff tomorrow you're not even ready for. Where's our joy? Why are we so bitter and angry? Why are we so quick to fight and to argue? Why are we so set on our own ways and our own perspectives? Aren't we looking for something new? Aren't we looking to see God move uniquely in our lives? I mean, I read these parables, and and the first thing that pops to me is like excitement, joy. The next one is much like it, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a merchant who finds, who's on a search for fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had, and he buys it. Now, I've never searched for pearls, and I doubt you have either, but this is not a hard parable to interpret, is it? This isn't complicated. This isn't rocket science. Y'all are very smart. You know how to use it. You can read. It makes sense. This one is a little bit different, though, because whereas the character in the other one stumbles across this amazing grace of God, this person is on the search. They're looking. They know that something is missing. They know they've got other pearls. They know they have other jewels. But there's something that's not quite right, and they want something more. And so this person looks, searches. Maybe, Maybe I could talk to some of you this morning. Maybe some of you are searchers. You're looking. I understand this very well, because when I came to Christ, um, I was raised in the church. I was baptized very young. God had a powerful effect on my life very young. But, you know, you become a teenager and things get a little... (laughs) And I was no longer so sure, and so I went on a search. And I read the major scriptures, and I looked and looked and looked and looked. Until all of a sudden, one day, Jesus ambushed me. (laughs) Maybe you are a searcher. And one of the things, I'm going to talk to the searchers here for a second, but you're kind of the church, I'm critiquing you. (laughs) One of the things I know about searchers is that people who who are searching are full of doubt. And doubt scares us. Because it challenges settled answers. And a settled answer is like a comfy blanket, isn't it? Fuzzy, warm, mmm. But not everybody's there yet. And if you are a searcher here today, I want to be a person who stands from a pulpit, from a position of authority as, as part of the leadership of the church, that our church is not afraid of questions. And we are not afraid of searchers. And we are not afraid of doubt. We are not afraid of anything that you might be bringing in. Maybe you're wrestling with a sin that is so deep and so dark that you are afraid no one can bear to hear it. And let me tell you what, I have heard things that would curl your toes and I have seen those people come to redemption. 
We sing it today. I probably can't do it. Maybe I'll have to have Andy come up and play the guitar real quick. But what, what do we say? There's no mountain you won't climb up. I can't do any more. <laughs> what is it? Kick down, yes, right? No shadow. Like the God is the God who goes out and searches. If you are searching, you are in the right place. You are looking for the thing. And we're trying to tell you, listen, we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Jesus has all the answers. And all we can do is point to you in church. We have a problem because so often we like to tell people the answers when really what somebody needs is for you to step on the road next to them and walk with them a mile. And hear their heart, and hear their story, and love them, and offer them patience and compassion. You know, all of these stories that Jesus told, they're full of such surprise and joy. And all of the people who encounter these treasures of the pearl, all these people who encounter Jesus just in his ministry and his healing power, what do they walk away? They're skipping, they're praising, they've met God, and God has changed them. They didn't meet Jordan, although that's delightful too. They met God. We are in the business, brothers and sisters, of introducing seekers to the answer, to the joy, to the one who can do all the transformation. And because that is true, you and I have to be people of patience and compassion. And the next time, as this week comes up, you think to yourself, that person's an idiot and I need to correct them. That may be true. (laughs) But I want you to remember how patient and compassionate God has been to you. And how far Jesus has walked with you, walked with you, as you have neglected his ways. And yet he keeps on stepping up next to you, grabbing you by the hand and saying, let's go over here. Our call, church, is to be the people who walk with others. Introducing them to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. I love the way Peter puts it. Um, what is with this font? What is going on? It's like crazy. I don't know what's happening. Anyway, this is a great passage. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Let me say that again just for a second. Like, let's ponder that. You remember in Revelation chapter 3 when he comes to, what, I can't remember which church, it may be Philadelphia. I don't remember now. He says, you guys are doing a lot of work. You're running around. There's all kinds of things you all are doing, but I have this thing against you, this thing against you. Not your work, not your deeds, not your serving the poor, not your doing all these things. You're doing all kinds of work. I love it. It's great, but I have this because this is the thing that I think you're forgetting. You forgot your first love. It's important that we, though you may not have seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One notable uh, Bible scholar kind of translates this last line differently. He says, you exalt with a joy glorious beyond words. And if I have a prayer for all of us today, it is this. It is that you will leave this place with joy. With joy because of what God has done for you. That is glorious and beyond words. Whether Whether the gospel has ambushed you 
or whether you're seeking and you found it, it's going to surprise you and it will always bring you joy. And that's the good news, um, but with good news also comes what? Bad news, or not so good news, or more difficult news. Maybe we'll put it that way, more difficult news. So often these moments when scripture kind of steps into our life, it calls us to do um, what, the, what we used to mean by the word evangelical, which meant at one time it meant you must make a profession of faith. You must choose to follow Jesus. And we're a choose to follow Jesus church. We don't believe that anything can bring you except for you choosing to follow Jesus. And that seems to be really important to these passages, isn't it? You notice the joy. You notice the finding. You know all of this. But each person has to do what? They have to sell everything they have to buy the field or to buy the pearl. This is a moment we call discipleship. That's what that word means. It means you have to choose to bring yourself in line with Jesus in such a way that is so meaningful that it transforms everything. It changes everything. And the next parable really, really drives this home. Look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and then sorted it out into the containers and they threw away the bad fish. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and will separate the evil from the righteous, throw them into the fiery furnace, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So now comes that serious part. It's important to notice this. This is the one that Jesus interprets. In fact, in Matthew 13, we, we did two, two of the parables last week and then this, these parables this week. And of all of the parables, the six parables, three are interpreted. And two of them that are interpreted sound very similar. The one that we heard about the wheat and the tares, where the wheat are gathered and brought into the barn, the tares are burned with fire. And this parable of the net. Jesus takes time to explain it. I need you to understand exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is coming a day where God will sweep everything up and then he will separate. He will sort We might call this a sorting parable. In fact, I I spent a little bit of time in Matthew because I was like, this sounds really familiar. It sounds like a lot of parables. I wonder how many times, and might have a weird font for this one too. Oh, it's right. This, This is a weird day. These are all the sorting parables just in the book of Matthew. Perhaps Matthew's trying to get a point across, right? Perhaps he really wants us to understand Like, listen, you guys have to get this. You have to understand that there is a day of accounting. And what Jesus is offering right now to the person who stumbles or to the person who is seeking is this moment of inexpressible and contagious joy. But he's also laying at its backside a warning. You don't receive the kingdom unless you're all in. It's another good gambling thing, isn't it? We'll strike that from the audio too. I don't know that I should say good gambling together. But <laughs> nevertheless, that whole moment where you, you know, the, like poker, whatever, they push it all, all in. Are you all in? Or are you holding back? Because the kingdom of God is of such immense promise and beauty and privilege. It is worth all that we have. But it also asks all that we are. 
And there are a lot of churches and there are a lot of preachers and there are a lot of people who will not ask much of you. And I will promise to only ask of you what Scripture asks of you. And Scripture asks that you give everything. And we have to reckon with that, both as people who believe and are kind of set in our beliefs, if you're a Christian here today, but you also have to reckon with that if you're a searcher, because you could be a searcher who really stumbles across that pirate's treasure, and you open up, you're like, rubies, gold, that's great. Forget it, pirates, and I'm out. Or you could be the person who says, boy, look at that pearl, it's beautiful, I've never seen anything like it, but I can't risk losing everything to own it. And so you admire it from afar. There's a lot of people who admire Jesus. There are not a lot of people who are all in for Jesus. And my question is this, are you admirer or are you all in? Because the all in people They receive the kingdom. They're filled with the spirit. They're sent on mission. They're powerful. And I love that. I love that. It's so common for us to sort of lose track of that, lose sight of that. I don't want to rant and rail, and I don't want to make any kind of accusations. I don't want to assume that you are, that I know where you are, but I want you to take these parables and really ingest them, take them in, and allow these stories, because these are easy parables. These three things are easy. You can remember this all week long. Every single day you could remember, oh, the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field. Oh, the kingdom of God is like a pearl. Oh, the kingdom of God is like a net. And you can hold that in your mind and mull those things over, and I am curious about what God brings out of you. What is the Spirit telling you you need to let go of? What is the Spirit saying you have held back from? What does the Spirit tell you that you need to be more joyful about? What is the Spirit doing in you as you hear these parables? Because the Spirit is looking to do something in you as you hear these parables. And as we consider that moment of great judgment where all that is evil is cast aside. And if you can imagine a world in which God has redeemed everything, there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, everything's been transformed, and you have a place in that kingdom. That's what we're talking about. And even now, as we look across this present evil age, God is preserving us from all of those pitfalls, from all of that evil, from all of that sin, and he is pouring his grace upon the people of God. And my question is, where are you in that story? Where are you in that story? The band's going to come up now. We're going we're to begin to wrap this up. But I wanted to wrap it up with one more stop off at that First Peter passage because I think it's such a beautiful encapsulation of, of what Jesus is after in these parables He's trying to get us to understand the great cost of the kingdom. He's trying to help us understand the beauty of the kingdom. He's trying to help us to understand the joy of the kingdom, the surprise of the kingdom. And he's also trying to help us understand the warning of the kingdom. That there comes a moment where it is too late. And I don't know where you are in this walk of faith. I I know that you're somewhere. Every single one of us is on this journey. And perhaps you need someone to walk with you. Perhaps you need someone to walk with you. And if that's the case, we want to encourage you to make that kind of decision. Maybe it's coming down and talking to me. We'll have elders in the back over here next to this room here if you need somebody privately to pray with, to walk with you. But I love this, again, back to that song we sang, that reckless love bit, the reckless love of God. God's love that, that is indescribably different than our love. Our love, which tends to be muted and finite, and reciprocal 
God pours out with generosity. And so again, let's take a peek at this passage. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, of your life. Or the translation that I really like, you exalt with a joy glorious beyond words. Let's be those people this morning. Let's stand as we sing this last song as well.